The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're going to be speaking about challenging Casanova. How promiscuous are young men in this culture? Do most young men want sex with as many women as possible with little or no regard for them? Is that what women expect? Is that what the culture promotes? Returning to Psych Up Live to answer these questions and more, our guest and expert is Dr. Andrew Smiler. Dr. Smiler is a licensed therapist and an expert on boys, men, and masculinity. He is the author of Challenging Casanova, Beyond the Stereotype of the Promiscuous Young Male. He's also the author of Dating and Sex, a guide for the 21st century teen boy. Dr. Smilo was one of our earlier guests who discussed that book. It's a podcast now. It's a terrific show and worth checking out in our archives. He's also the co-author of The Masculine Self. Dr. Andrew Smiler, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thank you, and thanks for having me back again. It's a pleasure to be here. So this is a very important topic, which really impacts young men, young women, parents. Um, Let's start with clarifying, what is the Casanova myth? Um, So I like to talk about the Casanova complex as this set of beliefs that all guys just want sex. They're not interested in relationships, that they don't really care very much who their partners are. It's kind of anyone, anywhere, anywhen, as long as it's sexual in some way. Um, mm-hmm. As well as the, the idea that it's okay to lie or spit game in order to seduce someone to get them into bed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that men are kind of inherently superior to women, which for some guys then justifies the fact that they are lying to women uh, in right. order to get them into bed. Right. Now, and it's funny, I slipped and called it the myth because I already know in some ways we do have some reason to challenge that. But notwithstanding, this is pretty much perpetuated and most young men know about this 
and in some way seem to give verbal adherence to it. Tell me what makes you challenge it, Andrew. The, there are really two things that made me challenge it, and I'll give them to you in the chronological order. Uh, one is that as a therapist who was working with a lot of teen boys back in the 90s and doing it again today, um, in my conversations with them and certainly knowing my own experience, it was pretty clear to me and has long been clear to me that most guys and certainly most teenage boys probably are not having the level of sexual activity that they claim to be having. Um, mm-hmm. And then once I, when I went back for my doctorate and I started to look at the empirical research, both in psychology and sociology and public health, uh, the numbers were all right there. And they made it very clear that there are actually very few guys who have the kind of sex or the level of sexual activity that is embodied in this uh, Casanova complex that we are all aware of. Now, what kind of numbers do we get when we actually do the research with young men? Um, Thank you. That's a great question. I always am happy to talk about the research, even though most of it has not been conducted by me. One of the, the most frequent questions that undergraduates get asked is how many sexual partners would you like to have in the next 30 days? Um, About 25% of young men on college campuses say they want two or more partners in the next 30 days. Now, we compare that with about 6% of young women, and we see that there's a huge difference between men and women. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to that 25%. 25% are saying that they want two or more partners. That means that 75% are saying that they want zero or one partners. Right. And so that's the majority, and that's a three-to-one majority. But somehow Mm -hmm. we get fixated on the 25% and not the 75%. Right. If we we shift and we look at a different question, we, again, in all of these fields, we often ask people how many partners they have actually had in the last 12 months. We're down to about 15%, maybe 20% of young men say that they have had three or more partners in the last 12 months. So hmm. that, that's even less than our 25% that have said they want two or more partners in the next 30 days, because now we're down to a year, um, and we're at 15%, which is about one guy in seven. And then if you look at studies that ask men about their behavior over multiple years, it's only about 5% of guys that have three or more partners for three consecutive years. So this is certainly not the majority not even close to the majority. Mm. One study that you quote that I thought was important also, it's so interesting because it even involved older men. There was one study you spoke about, the ages range from 18 to 83. And what was so interesting is you were asking, would you consider yourself a player? And the 18 to 29-year-olds, only 12% of them said yes. The 30 to 49 only 7%, and by the time we got to guys 50 and over, 3%. So again, we're never talking about majority. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing the way that we focus on this minority of guys and kind of hold them up as the primary example. Well, the other thing that before we even go into looking at those guys that you did also ask um, co-eds, would they, would they want a romantic relationship or a hookup relationship? 
And those findings were interesting. What did you find there? Oh my, I'm not quite, I'm not entirely sure which study you're pointing to. Well, I'm um, talking... We, we tend to find that about 75% of guys yeah. um, say that they would much rather be, have their sexual experiences in some kind of dating relationship than in just a random hookup with someone that they're never going to see again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That's the number just varies a- slightly depending on how you ask it, but, but somewhere around 75%. Right. That's just what I had. What I had written down, which really kind of surprised me. Um, and so, a- Andrew, what would you say? How do we make sense of this? Because it seems that there's really a cultural support for this Casanova definition of male masculinity and what young men want. I, I even believe it's what women think young men want. So the question is. Where does the myth come from, and why is it perpetuated? Um, I, well, okay, I'll, I'll take those in some order. Uh, <laughs> the myth is longstanding, and the notion that men are inherently sexual and often predatory uh, is, is an idea that has been used against various minority groups uh, over the last 100, 150 years in the U.S. If you look back, one of the reasons that was given for continuing slavery against black people is that black men were all sexual predators and they would go out and rape all of the white women. And that belief was used to justify the notion that we needed to keep black men as slaves so that they could not inflict this kind of harm. Um, Hmm. We see almost exactly the same argument being put forth against gay men uh, throughout most of the 20th century, that, hmm. you know, we need to control gay male sexuality um, because they will rape straight men, they will rape boys. Um, and again, there's no evidence that this is true, that, that such behavior would be common by black men, would be common by gay men, but this is the line that gets put out. And we consistently have this notion that male sexuality is dangerous. We've seen it uh, recently here in North Carolina, where I live. This was part of the justification for uh, HB2, the transgender bathroom bill that became big national news. The big fear wasn't that folks who are transgender would go into a different bathroom and rape someone. The big fear that was used to push the law was that straight men would claim that they were transgender and they would go into the women's room and rape people. Um, So we have a long history of being scared of male sexuality here. Right, right. So when we translate it to our young males in this culture, what's interesting is that it's not only perpetuated in terms of the way people think about them, but they perpetuate it in terms of, I know you describe in the book such an interesting piece about the rites of passage, having all sons. I remember, I, you know, the fraternity scenes, the athletic hazing, there's an overall um, uh, kind of um, flavor about it that to be male, you have to be tough, and that means you'll even love watching the movies or anything that perpetuates this myth of the Casanova um, and will root for that guy. Very few guys watching as a group 
are rooting for the so-called quiet, gentle, defined nerd who's, who's a right? I mean, everybody's rooting right. whether they believe that or not. So how are you going to disagree? Or how are you going to disagree at a fraternity party when someone says, so are you going to score? So it they themselves are perpetuating it. Right. And we know that boys are very aware of kind of their masculine status or their, their man card or whatever we want to call it. And that that man card is really defined by how well you live up to the stereotype. And for boys who want to be popular or boys who want to be in the in crowd or at least don't want to be shunned and perhaps picked on or even beaten up, they need to play the game and they need to at least act like they're into the stereotype and act like that's what they believe or act like they're doing that. Um, And they get a lot of pressure to conform in those ways. It's interesting because in Donna Friedis's work about the end of sex, she made a big point of saying when she asked a whole classroom of boys, they were all saying hooking up is great. It's like it's candy without paying. It's gratification. But then when she interviewed them individually, not the same kind of responses. They talked about the pressure on it. And as you found, really wanting relationships. They basically would like to meet someone, but it's hard to go up against, you know, the maddening crowd. Exactly. And, and especially to go against that in public. And one of the ways mm-hmm. that we know that this plays out, especially in heterosexual relationships, um, is that the guy spends a lot of time at the beginning of the relationship and maybe again later trying to convince the girl that he actually wants a relationship. He's not just out to score. Um, and that, that takes a lot of time and energy and effort for both members of that uh, beginning couple. That's interesting. I, I know someone who, who, who did a piece, Rachel Hill, who did the piece on your book, gives a little vignette where the guy just doing just that. He's saying, I'm really interested in you. And you hear her sort of see her thinking, right, yeah, sure, this is the typical yeah. line. So, you know, it's, <laughs> there's like really no way to move once you're working within the stereotype. Right. And, and because we have pushed the stereotype, yeah, excuse me, this stereotype so hard, and because many sex education programs teach that the stereotype is reality, and they don't teach the numbers that we mentioned earlier, um, everybody has all the more reason to believe that the stereotype is real, is legit. Um, and so again, there's no alternative, there's just a push to this image. Mm. When you spoke, and we're going we're gonna to be taking a break and talking about the media, but in your conversations with young men, do you hear them verbalizing their wish to have a way to break away from this um, uh, Casanova myth, or is it something that they feel is a given? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, A lot of the guys that I see in therapy, whether they're teens or they're guys in their 20-somethings, mm-hmm. um, they, they often struggle with kind of how do, I, how do I be myself and not try to live up to this stereotype, um, but balancing that against some of the needs uh, as far as kind of public image, um, and it's a real struggle for them, and so I often do some deconstruction with them of our image of masculinity 
Um, and for some of the guys, I'll even send them an article um, or kind of an, an author summary that's written um, for a general audience instead of a research audience. And sometimes actually give them the data and let them look at some of the, the numbers in the studies to see uh, some of the things about, some of the numbers about both male promiscuity and how we define masculinity. Um, but there is this real struggle to figure out who am I versus how do I uh, interact with a stereotype that kind of everyone believes in. Oh, I think that that really underscores the importance of your research and the fact that you even wrote this book because I think parents as well as the young men are unaware that privately more people, 75% of the people really would prefer the dating relationship to the night after night hookup. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to come right back and talk a little bit more about the role of the media in this Casanova myth. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with our guest, Dr. Andrew Smiler. He's the author of Challenging Casanova, Beyond the Stereotype of the Promiscuous Young Male. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Why do some people seemingly make the same mistakes when it comes to love and relationships? What is the best way to find love? Make a visit each week to Destination Love. Host Shelley Pumphrey will bring what you need to know to find love. No, it's not about the next fad, dating site tips, scoring the first date, or looking your best. Rather, it's empowerment, knowing that your authentic self works best and the science behind finding love. Destination Love is live Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. I'm here with Dr. Andrew Smiler, and actually we're just about to talk about the impact of the media on perpetuating the myth that young men are promiscuous, that they really do um, follow the Casanova suggestion or implication that they would like to sleep with as many women as possible, with as little responsibility as possible, and the media plays a part in this. Um, Dr. Smiler, what would you say about this? Um, My big concern, or one of my big concerns, is that the media very consistently and very much in front uh, puts this image of male promiscuity as kind of the ideal. Um, If you look at popular TV shows over the last 40 years or so, we get this collection of guys named uh, Arthur Fonzarelli and Hawkeye Pierce and Sam Malone and Barney Stinson and Charlie, who was played by Charlie Sheen, and I can never remember the character's last name. Um, and these are all, and Joey from Cheers. Mm. Um, these are all guys, or excuse me, from Friends, not Cheers. Right. Um, these are all characters on shows that were consistent top 20 shows that were repeatedly nominated as best comedy. The actors were repeatedly nominated um, as best actor or best supporting actor. And the shows won, the actors all won. So this is a guy that we really like. And if we think about um, the older shows before everything was digital and available on demand, these Mm. were guys that we went out of our way to invite into our living rooms because we had to be home on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock to watch it because they hadn't right. been at the VCR yet. Or right. we had to remember to tape it and watch it later. Um, so this guy has been a fixture in primetime American TV comedies, a lot of shows identified as family shows, for about 40 years. And prior to 1970, as far as I can tell... Promiscuous guys were always bad guys, but it changed really with kind of Hawkeye and Fonzie were the first two good guys who were promiscuous. Um, So there's a real Mm -hmm. difference there between the bad guys who are expected to be bad and promiscuity is part of that. And now these guys who are otherwise good guys and maybe promiscuity is okay. And we certainly have a whole... uh, a lot of movie characters. We have action characters like James Bond and uh, Tony Stark or Iron Man who are promiscuous. We have a whole set of movies like Porky's and American Pie. And there Mm -hmm. were seven American Pie movies. Right. Um, You know, where the whole movie is about whether or not this group of teenage guys, maybe 20-something guys, can get laid. And, And this is actually a genre of movies now. We call them sex comedies. Um, so it's been something that Hollywood has really put forth and put forth in quite substantial numbers and in ways that we as a consuming public really seem to like. So when I began to think about this, um, on one hand, the first question that comes to mind is as much as 
everybody wants to see these, and I think you're right. They Now they are consumed whenever, wherever, over and over again. Favorite um, episodes of different series. Um, on one hand, they um, they people are laughing. They're they're you know they seem to be a source of fun. On the other hand, you wonder do, do they invite private self judgment or anxiety on the part of the many, the seventy five percent who are not Charlie from Two and a Half Men and are not James Bond. Um, do you worry that women are watching them too, and that is in fact what they expect? Um, so my one concern was, what does this invite? Um, I, I, I know you and I have spoken before that very rarely on any of these shows is anything like protection, condoms, health risks, STIs, nothing of that comes up. So it's really a very slanted, funny though it may be portrayed, picture. Absolutely. And what we know from decades of research on how adolescents interact with media, um, we know that adolescents have, most adolescents have favorite characters from whether they be TV or movies, and that a fair number of adolescents see those characters as role models, or at least as one of their role models, because there's nothing that says that you can only have one role model in your life. And so they model their behaviors, or at least some of their behaviors, accordingly. Um, And if that means that they're adopting uh, a version of masculinity or sexuality that has this kind of promiscuity, then that's what they're striving for. And it, it is by their own choice But at the same time, it is something that we have made available, and in many ways, we have promoted. I mean, I certainly had a poster of Fonzie on my wall when I was growing up, um, Mm -hmm. because he was cool, and that was the guy you wanted to be, and it was kind of taken without question that that was the kind of guy you wanted to be. So, what do you think of this, this vicious cycle that I was thinking about? Because they're nonstop, the releases of these movies and... uh, the videos. So I started to think, well, what if they both serve a purpose and keep perpetuating the myth? So the 75% who are really not going to act like Fonzie, um, they watch it. And it's a vicarious way of being Fonzie, James Bond, whoever you're going to be. Um, and so in some vicarious way, I'm part of the I'm part of the pack. I'm part of the the guys who hook up and uh, the the real studs. And so I get some sense. And if I'm watching it with eight other guys in a fraternity house or in someone's basement, I'm publicly part of the pack. And then privately, I'm the guy who really would never act that way. The problem being it serves in that I get that kind of place to act as if I'm part of the pack. The problem is that I'm really still perpetuating that as the norm of masculinity, that as the cream of the crop way to behave, and more movies are released, and I go to more movies. So I wondered about a kind of vicious cycle. What do you think about that? I, I think you're on to something here with uh, the cyclical nature of this. And we um, 
in some flavors of men's studies or masculinity studies, we talk about guys who are complicit with this dominant stereotype. Uh, that terminology comes from Raywin Cannell. Um, and he talks about the guys who don't actually fit the stereotype. You know, they're not the players. They're not the big jocks. Um, but they go along with it, and they're close enough to it that they get accepted. And so they're supporting this image that they don't really fit up to, but by supporting it, by being part of the crowd, they also um, gain some status and some of the benefits. Um, mm-hmm. the, the contrast for those guys is that they could potentially step outside the system and either say, I'm not going to play at all, or they could oppose it, um, but that, come, that typically comes with a social cost of, in some ways, potentially being ostracized or at least having relatively low, high, low status if we're talking about, say, a high school setting. Um, and most guys aren't willing to go there. Um, and I suspect most guys don't really know that and if that's a possibility because they don't really hear that there are other ways to be a real man or to do masculinity because we are so focused on this one image and especially in comedies, so disdainful of uh, other ways to do masculinity. If you look at how Alan gets treated on Two and a Half Men, it's right. pretty appalling and it's pretty clear that you don't want to be Alan. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I want our listeners to hear that I think is so important about your book, notwithstanding what we're saying about the treatment of Alan and the myth, you actually underscore in the book a whole section on what young men are really like, and you even put them in categories. Maybe you could talk to us about when you really got to talk to young men, what you found that they were really like, notwithstanding that they have this myth going on. Sure, thank you. Um, so I did a, a series of interviews with college-age men talking, uh, asking them about their dating and sexual habits. Um, and there were some guys and these are college-age guys, who really were, you know, kind of following the, the Casanova image, the stereotype. Um, those guys, in addition to their hookups, also reported that at various times they did have a girlfriend or a boyfriend for a period of several months. So I want to, I want to emphasize here that even the Casanovas do engage in some level of dating and having these long-term relationships. Most of those guys... Um, do not just hook up. They, they often end up in relationships. Um, but the, there were three other patterns that I talk about in the book, Challenging Casanova. The most common pattern were these guys who, who I just called complicit. Um, they were very clear that they preferred their sexual activity to be with someone that they are dating or that they are hoping to date given the way that relationships start now and some level of hooking up prior to relationships. Those guys, on average, had relatively low levels of sexual, uh, relatively low numbers of sexual partners. Um, they reported a little bit of hooking up, um, but tended to say it wasn't something that they were really interested in. It wasn't something they wanted to do often. Some of those guys actually talked about regretting their hookup experiences or having just mm-hmm. a single hookup experience that, um, wasn't good enough to make them want to do it again. And by far, this was the largest group of guys. 
There was also another group of guys that I talked about as religious um, because they are. They, they were, uh, we might call them fundamentalists um, or kind of devout, but from the more conservative ends of their religion, they really believed that sex was sacred and something to be reserved for marriage. And they, even as college students, they were making real efforts to live out that belief. Um, and so they had very little dating experience. They had almost no sexual experience beyond some kissing and maybe petting. Um, and their dating relationships, and this is what I, one of the things that was really striking for me, their dating relationships, at least to about age 20, had tended to be pretty short because if they were dating somebody for, say, three or four weeks, and they realized that this wasn't someone that they were interested in marrying, or perhaps they mm. weren't young enough to really, or they were too young to really think seriously about marrying because they were 18 and they were, you know, just starting college or whatever. Um, then they ended the relationships because for them, the only purpose in dating is to find a marital partner. Um, mm-hmm. And if you know, if they weren't ready to get married, then there was kind of not really any reason to date. Um, so we have the Casanovas, we have kind of the romantics, that larger group, we have these religious guys, and then we have another group of guys that, um, I ultimately labeled as emo or emotional in the book. And it's, uh, I still sometimes regret that term, but that's the term that I put in the book. So that's Mm. the term I got to use now. Um, and these guys reported that they hooked up a fair amount, um, and here, hooking up was explicitly about sexual activity with someone that they were not yet dating and maybe weren't interested in dating, um, just a one-time kind of thing. They didn't hook up quite as much as the Casanovas, but clearly much more than the romantic guys. Um, but a lot of their hookups, even as college students, didn't actually lead to intercourse. They would just kind of lead to some kind of fooling around, maybe or maybe not oral sex. Um, and then they also had uh, a fair number of uh, actual relationships. But in talking to these guys, they really seemed to be struggling because they sounded a lot like the romantic guys when they were talking about relationships. And even when they were talking about hooking up, they sounded like the romantic guys. But then they had all of these hookup experiences that didn't quite pan out where they're not really sure what happened often because they thought they should be hooking up, even though it wasn't really what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of caught, kind of fighting against this stereotype or trying to adhere to this stereotype when it wasn't really right for them. Now, across this group, and these are the real real guys, um, would you say most had a double standard? Because I I want young women to know what young men are like. What would you say most of these men in the groups, right across the romantic, the religious guy, the guy who's more emotional and hooks up but doesn't quite go all the way, do you th- what do you think their attitude toward women, young women, is? Um, that's a great question, and I really saw some differences based on the groupings here. The, the players, the Casanovas, all of them were pretty clear that you know, 
men and women, there are different standards for men and women that a guy who sleeps around, he's cool, that's a good thing, but a woman, a woman who sleeps around is somehow dirty or a whore, and that's a bad thing. Hmm. Um, they also talked about kind of spitting game, and you say whatever you need to say in order to get a girl to go to bed with you. Some of the romantic guys also, in, or excuse me, some of the religious guys um, also endorsed double standard. It wasn't, and so, in some ways it was the double standard about sex, um, although they themselves weren't interested in promiscuity and didn't endorse promiscuity, so that didn't read the way you'd expect it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also tended to talk about kind of a male-dominated household and that it was explicitly their job as guys to be the breadwinner, and it was explicitly um, the job of their someday wife to raise the kids. And if she gets a job, that's nice, but her job would clearly be secondary to his job, and her job would mm-hmm. just be for some extra money. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other two groups, the emo guys... And the romantics um, tended to be much more egalitarian. Kind of the average guy in those two groups didn't really subscribe to the sexual double, double standard that says promiscuity is good for guys and bad for girls. One or two of them did, but across the board, they tended to say either it's good for everybody or it's bad for everybody. Um, and they also tended to talk more about equality in other ways and say mm. and and be open to um, having a girlfriend or a wife who might actually make more money than them um, or who might take the lead in making decisions for the couples um, either as a dating couple or ultimately as a married couple in ways that the Casanovas were not accepting of and in ways that the religious guys were often not accepting of. So interesting. Now we're going to have to take a break. Um, we've been li- you've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with Dr. Andrew Smiler. You just heard him. He's really telling us what young men are like beyond just being classified as Casanovas. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what men want to know more about. What role can parents play, and how about young men and their friends? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. Each week, host Laura Redman and her guest experts are here to help you be you. In order to truly be successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. 
Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Andrew Smiler. And we're actually discussing the reality that young men really are beyond the stereotype of promiscuity and the Casanova um, complex or approach. So, Dr. Smiler, where do parents fit into this? We're talking about young men supporting the myth, personally not perhaps believing it. What would you say the parents' role might be? Well, parents have a huge role. We all... (laughs) kind of know and understand that parents are their son's first teachers about pretty much everything. And that's certainly true when we talk about relationships and sexual activity. Uh, one of the things that I encourage the parents I work with, the parents I speak to, to do is to watch TV with their kids and to ask their boys questions about what they would do in those situations that they see mm-hmm. on screen. Um, or what else that character might have done in those situations. Um, and it's a great way to get into all sorts of topics from, you know, how do you treat a friend, how do you treat your romantic partner, to how do you know when someone wants to be with, sexual with you, to how do you avoid a fight, or how do you get into a fight if we want to talk about violence, or how do you say yes or no to drugs, and why do you do that, uh, if we want to go into that kind of area. Um, And one of the real advantages of talking about uh, TV characters in particular, but also movie characters, is that boys don't need to defend those people on screen in the way that they would feel like they need to to defend a good friend of theirs, right? They're not loyal to Charlie or Alan or some other TV Mm -hmm. character, but they are loyal to their friend who happens to be named Charlie or Alan. Um, So -hmm. it gives them more freedom in the conversation in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's worth saying, as I'm quoting you, that when you ask boys where did they learn about sex, the majority of, is this right, say they learned it from the media or peers, they're not mentioning parents in this? Uh, absolutely. We know that, um, particularly when it comes to sex, but also dating, uh, boys see a lot of that on screen 
they don't see very much of it from their parents. And of course, it looks very different if your parents have been married for 10 or 20 years than what we see on screen. Um, and that's, we know that's one of the big reasons that boys start watching porn. Um, they start off looking at porn because they believe that they need to know it all about sex. And then a fair number of them discover that they enjoy porn or they enjoy masturbating to porn. And so they keep watching it. Mm-hmm. And we know that as, in as much as that's going to provide information, we worry about young men of any age, I know you've written and worked with this, who get stuck with that as the major source of arousal, and it precludes really good relating with uh, a, a partner. What about, what do you think that parents should be aware of that young men want to know that they really don't know enough about in terms of dating or sexuality? Um, that's a great question, and, and I could probably do a whole hour just on that. Okay. Um, I'll, a couple things I'll throw out here. Um, one is that boys want more information on kind of how to ask somebody out or how to initiate sexual contact, sexual behavior. Um, they see it on screen. On screen, it always goes smoothly, but they may not be picking up some of the subtle cues. The, the boys themselves may not be good at reading body language because we rarely explicitly talk about body language and how you interpret that. Um, so they, need, they often want information on that. How do I start a conversation? How do I start talking to a girl or a guy that I like? Um, we also know that boys get very little information on how to respond when they hear no. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this is a big deal because what we typically tell boys in other situations is to try harder. Oh, you didn't get a grade you like? Let's try harder. Oh, you're not the starter on the team or you're not the first chair in orchestra? Practice more. Try harder. Well, when you do that with someone that you want to date and they don't want to date you, we call it stalking, and that's not <laughs> acceptable. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we need to teach boys how to accept rejection mm-hmm. um, and, you know, how to do it without yelling at the person who has just rejected you because that's certainly not going to convince them either. Um, and that's a big thing, and we don't talk about that anywhere. And I we want also, to... Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Um, one of the other things that we can talk to boys about is what makes for a good relationship. Now, we don't often talk to boys about the emotional connection that you have with your partner and, and knowing that your partner has your emotional back. Um, somehow that gets left out of our conversations mm. with boys, although it's central to our conversation with girls, right? If you're watching a show like Gilmore Girls or 90210 or Pretty Little Liars, mm. that's <laughs> probably 25% of the dialogue is, how do I know if I can trust this person and how much can I trust this person and can I trust them with this but not that? And that doesn't show up anywhere in the media that is typically aimed at guys or that guys are typically consuming. I want to tell our listeners that your second book, Dating and Sex, A Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy, is a wonderful guide for parents and young men 
that really gives you, and it's the kind of book kids would love, <clears throat> it really gives you ways to deal with this. Literally, from the cartoons that Andrew has in there to the question of, are you real? is consent, do you really have consent, or what does this move mean? I think that's a wonderful rejoinder to this book because it really does alleviate the parents fear also where where do I start with this conversation um it's that's a wonderful contribution to parents and young men Andrew thank you thank you so much you know one of the other things that you talk about that I think it's missed when people um portray young men um as we see them in the media is really how sincere young men are underneath the bravado and that is most let's say most or at least we're saying 75 percent both in terms of their tentative wish to be with women and how they actually do that whether it starts with a hooking up or whether they don't quite know what to say Um, but the importance that of men meeting and knowing other men and the importance of their friendships. And I wondered if you wanted to share some of your findings about that. Yeah, thank you. This is a a huge issue. Um, And a lot of this work that that I'm quoting here comes from Niobe Way and her book, Deep Secrets. Uh, Niobe is on faculty at NYU. And she's been studying the friendships of boys for about 20 years now. Um, And one of the things that we know from all sorts of studies, including Niobe Wade, is that boys are very selective about who they share their feelings with and who they tell their deep secrets to. Um, And it's rarely more than one or two people. And so when they they lose a very close friend, a best friend, um, they feel it very deeply, in part because they don't have anyone else to turn to to get that same kind of support. Um, And when a guy looks at another guy and says, you know, you're like a brother to me, that is often uh, reflected in that level of uh, depth and emotional connection. Uh, We see the same thing among adult men. We see that adult men on average have often have fewer friends than adult women. Um, Lots of men talk about their wife or their girlfriend or their partner. as their best friend, and in many cases, it's their only friend, um, which is one of the reasons why guys take breakups, loss of a romantic relationship, so much harder uh, than do women, and why it takes them so much longer to get over it, because Mm. when they go to their buddies, their buddies say, kind of, all right, I've been listening to you for 10 minutes already. If you're going to keep crying, cry in your beer. I'm going to go shoot pool. Um, And so that they don't get that support in the same way that um, on average, women get. Mm, it's really so important. Let, let me ask you this. If you were to pass along a take-home message, um, as someone now who has works with young men, has written now extensively about them, and, and your podcast, um, your, your blog, um, the podcast you did on our show, what is the take-home message that you'd like to pass along? Wow, I feel like I should have had that prepared already. Uh, I think the take-home message for me is that we should not buy the stereotypes about young men, that young men are, in fact, much deeper and much more complicated than stereotypes lead us to believe. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly... 
both of your books, and I want you to tell our listeners how to get them, <clears throat> but both of them really are steps to helping us really question and, as you do, challenge this Casanova myth and really seeing young men in terms of what they need and who they are. How would our listeners find you, your blogs, and your books, Dr. Smiler? Uh, listeners can find me through my website, which is just my name, andrewsmiler.com. There are links to the books from my page. Uh, both Challenging Casanova and Dating and Sex are available through all of the major booksellers, whether you prefer uh, Barnes & Noble or Amazon or IndieBound. Uh, both books are also available in Kindle versions for those of you who prefer electronic versions. Mm. Um, they're great. And I think everything about your dialogue today with me and um, the way you clarify um, what's real with young men is really a contribution actually to everyone, um, Dr. Smiler. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming back on Psych Up Live to talk to us about it. Thank you so much for having me, Suzanne. It's yeah. been a, a pleasure and an honor to be back. Thank you so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show by this evening as a podcast. And that's true of all of the shows, including Dr. Smiler's earliest show about his, his earlier book, um, uh, which I suggested is a great guide for the 20th century teen boy. Please feel free to check out my website, my Twitter site, And remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, mostly take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.